Okay, the record is on. We are halfway through chapter 43, page 556. Let the story begin. And the story begins. There we go. (laughs) So the Zohar, quoted earlier in chapter 40, gave an analogy of our relationship with God to a bird. In order for a bird to take flight, it needs two wings. Right? If it just has one wing, it ain't going anywhere. It's worth something. It's still a kosher bird. You could still eat it, right? Even if it has no wings, you could still eat it. But ideally, a bird should have two wings. Similarly, a relationship, in order for it to take flight, it needs both wings. It needs both the reverence as well as love. And we described extensively two levels of reverence, right? two parts of one wing. <laughs> We described the first ring, reverence, and there are two part, there are two levels of reverence. Right? When you respect the person, there's you respect things about them. But then when you get to know them, you actually respect them, not just things about them. Right? I can appreciate how great God is in relationship to my perception of him, of his awesomeness, or I can accept him. Right, that's a deeper level of Bissell. Both of those, those are the two levels of reverence. One level will lead to the other. Okay, now we're going to discuss the other side of the coin, the other side of the, the other side of the bird, <laughs> the other wing. Love. And just as there are two levels of reverence, there are two levels of love. Take a look, please, on page. Hold on, I gotta add something to my notes before I forget. You'll like this. You'll see you soon. <laughs> okay, please turn to page 556, the second um, bold paragraph right under section three. Now with the love of God, there are also two levels. There's the higher level called Ahava Rabbah. The Hebrew word for love is Ahava. And Rabbah means great, great love. And then there's the lower level of love called Ahavat Olam, Ahavas Olam. Right? So A worldly love. Do we not, we sing, we chant one in the Shafri service and we chant the other in the Mari service, right? Exactly, exactly. And the, the truth is, it there's, there's various versions of the Siddur. So the, the blessing that precedes the Shema, right? That long blessing that precedes the Shema. Um, John, you'll tell us what page it's on, <laughs> for the record. For, wait, for Shacharis? Yeah. Well, Shema starts on page 42, so it okay, has so to pro- be... I guess probably 41. Yeah. Presumably. So that long blessing starts with Ahavat Olam Ahavtanu, a worldly love, or the sitter might translate it as an everlasting love. Both are correct. You can never rely on translations because one word may have more than one translation. If you look in various versions of the sitter, particularly the Ashkenaz sitter, it doesn't say Ahavat Olam, a worldly love. It says Ava Rabbah, a great love. And you'll soon see why. The Tanya's approach is to be practical. Um, others prefer to be aspirational. 
And we'll soon see how the lower level of love, the worldly love, Ahavat Olam, is the more practical level, and that's why we recite it in prayers, whereas others are more aspirational, less practical, which is fine, different, different approaches to a relationship with God. Um, let's discuss both of these levels of, of love. Okay, let's start with the first one. Let's start with Ahava Rabbah. What is this level of Ahava Rabbah? So if you look at the next bold paragraph on the page, Ahava Rabbah is described as a pleasurable love, right? It's a love of pleasure. There's love and there's pleasure, right? We know what regular love feels like. We know what pleasure feels like. Pleasure is much deeper. Pleasure is one of the deepest parts of you, right? When you have true pleasure, something can be so pleasurable that you don't even, you're not even aware of it, right? Regular love is just a, an attraction, a pull towards something. Pleasure is more than that. It's a, it's a deeper experience. If I were to offend how you feel, if I were to hurt your feelings, hopefully you'll forgive me, right? But if I were to offend what gives you deep, uh, gives you a deep sense of pleasure, that might be harder to uh, forgive, right? This level of love is referring to a pleasure in God. I, I, I simply just enjoy experiencing God. Th this is a hard level to experience. Uh, to, to, sorry, for it's, it's hard to describe because it's not something that's necessarily within our realms. And you'll soon see why. Take a look at the next bold paragraph. And this great love is a flame that rises by itself. This pleasurable love is a flame. It rises by itself. What does it mean it rises by itself? Meaning that it's impossible to acquire through your own efforts. And it comes only as a kind gift from above to a person who's already complete in his or her reverence for God. So if we were to experience the full reverence that we experienced last week, God may give you a gift you get to experience pleasure in him, right? This isn't a level of love that we can actually achieve. This is a level of love that may or may not happen to us. We may or may not be gifted with, right? which is why we don't refer to that love in the Shema, at least not in the morning. We refer to the more practical love, which we'll soon discuss. Um, Take a look on page 557. But for, before we go on it, so far we're clear, right? We're all on the boat? Yeah. Okay. Um, take a look on 557. We're going to learn some, some um, little Kabbalah. This will help us for our class tomorrow as well, by the way. Take a look on 557. Uh, the third, it's the second, it's the last bold paragraph. It's the second paragraph of the page. You see it? And the explanation, why without first having complete reverence, it's impossible to reach this level of great love, right? It's not something we just attained. It's with once we're complete as a person, God gives it to us, is because this great love is at the transpersonal consciousness of Atsilos. Has anybody heard of the term Atsilos? It's come up before, but we usually just brush right through it. A raise of hands, who's heard of Atsilos? Okay, 
Kabbalah talks about worlds, spiritual worlds. A world means a state of awareness, a frame of awareness, a state of consciousness. Our world is referred to, we said this in chapter 36 of Tanya, it's referred to as a low world. Because our state of awareness of God, by, by default, unless we really work on ourselves, is low. It's limited. Our, um, in Atsilas, though, the state of awareness of God is not at all limited, uh, at least not to the same degree. This is, to us, very theoretical, very conceptual, but put it this way. In this world, a person could have doubts, right? About their relationship with God. A person could have doubts in their faith. In, in, in the truth is, you, we may go as far to say that doubts might even be the default and it's that you could have faith. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not saying that's even true, but you could say that, right? And get away with it. Doubts are kind of the default. You can have faith. In Atsilus, it's the exact opposite. You can't have faith. You cannot have faith in the world of Atsilus. Because it's just there's just so much clarity. In that state of consciousness. That's the state of consciousness that a tzaddik um, usually would live with. Wait, I'm, the frame I'm, I'm, of a... I'm confused. Yeah. You... In, in the world of Atsilut, you can't have faith or you can't have can't. doubts? Both. Ah, uh, okay, all right. I understand. You have you so can. much clarity. Okay, right. Right? They, they go hand in hand. You could usually have faith because you have doubts. Or you can have doubts because you have faith. Over there, you can't have doubts and you can't have faith. There's just clarity. Hmm. Okay. It, it's, it's a level of consciousness that we, we can't even relate to. You know what the word Atsilus literally means? If we were to translate the word literally. And if you ever take a Kabbalah class here, and, and if your Kabbalah teacher has never heard of Atsilus, you'll know he's a fraud. Um, <laughs> and if he, come, and he, if he claims to know all about Atsilus, you'll know he's a fraud. Uh, <laughs> right? Somewhere in the middle. I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. Now he's, he's genuine. Or if he, um, if, if he is, insists that he he uh, has personal experience in Atsilut, he's a fraud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the word, the, the root word of the word Atsilus is Etzel, next to. It's a world that is, so to speak, next to God. Um, and it's closer to God. It, it, you can experience a, a genuine closeness to God. It doesn't mean God is any further in this world. We're talking about just the experience from an experiential perspective. Um, can I ask you something? How does Gan Eden fit into this Atsilus? That's a good question. That's a good question. The, sh the short answer is, okay, I guess the short answer is I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 it, it, it is a dimension of Gan Eden. So in Gan Eden, everything was clear because there was exactly. no questions because it was all there was no complications there was no doubt exactly in in our in our context you could probably use them interchangeably okay good excellent question excellent question we call this kabbalistic geography okay. um and it's an excellent question 
you know, um, when, when the author of the Tanya, Rabbi Shner Zalman, used to, when he was writing his manuscripts, it was record. It was the tradition has it that when he would write the word Atzilus, he was very sensitive to Atzilus. You know, he was a genuine person. He was sensitive to. He was privy to that perspective. He couldn't finish the word. He used to write Atzilus. When he was literally writing it down, he would write Atzi, Atzi. He literally couldn't finish the word. Because to him, it was not just a theoretical concept, a philosophical concept as it is to us. To him, it was, it was real. There was a, a Hasidic scholar who had a meeting with Rabbi Shalom Dober of Lubavitch. He was known as the fifth Rebbe in the Chabad dynasty. And this Hasidic scholar was having a meeting with him and trying to glean information. And he says, Rabbi, I'm having trouble understanding the concept of Vatsilus, this level of consciousness, this level of awareness, what's it like? So he describes to him, the rabbi describes to him this very lofty spiritual level of consciousness in great detail. So he says, is that Atsilus? He says, nope, that's not Atsilus. So he describes him at yet a higher level of spiritual awareness and consciousness and clarity. Is that Atsilus? That, that too is not Atsilus. So he says, then I don't know what Atsilus is. He says, that's what Atsilus is. <laughs> <laughs> you think you're going to know what it is? No. <laughs> if we can experience this level of love. And I don't know how you know you would, that you did. But theoretically, if we can experience this level of love, which most people aren't privy to, we know that we've mastered the consciousness or achieved the consciousness of Atsilas. This is called the love of Ahava Rabbah, the great love. Okay, let's talk about the lower level of love. On page 558, we call this Ahavat Olam, a worldly love, it's the top of the page. And a worldly love, Avat Olam, is not a gift from God. It's something we need to attain, attain or obtain. Attain, no, but I don't know. It's something we need to work for. It's something we need to actually um, achieve. Attain. attain. Attain, okay, there we go. Take a look on 558. However, the lower level of worldly love can be acquired through your efforts. It's not a gift from God. And it doesn't require you to, to reach higher reverence. The consciousness of Atsilos first, it doesn't require you to be, into this, uh, to be in this pristine state of consciousness, which most people can't relate to. AKA, this level of love is very realistic, very practical. How do we get this love? So in general, how do we develop feelings, right? There's this reoccurring theme throughout Tanya. Where do feelings come from? from Especially holy feelings from the head, right? Yeah. So what I feel is a product of how I think. So if I want to experience God, I have to value him. If I want to love God, I should say, right? We love what we value. We love our values. We love what we value. So if I want to love God, I have to reevaluate my values, right? Take a look at what he says. 
World, the second bold paragraph, third paragraph of the page, 558, worldly love results from meditating on the greatness of the blessed infinite light. It can be known through the world using your bina and da'as, using our mind. Thinking about God, making him personal, making him relevant. And he provides for us three levels of meditation to bring us to this relationship with God. There are three levels of meditation. Level number one, take a look at the second to last paragraph of the page. And throughout Kabbalistic literature, as well as Hasidic literature, these concepts will be reoccurring, not just in Tanya, but in other works as well. The second to last paragraph of the page, to acquire worldly love. Our first meditation is to contemplate how God fills all the worlds. That God is the inner energy of every single thing in the universe. So God fills the world, right? Just like your soul fills the body. And every part of your body has life to it. Even your toenails grow, right? Because the soul expands there. Every part of existence has life because God is simply everywhere. So our relationship with God in the world. Our worldly relationship with God. That's number one, right? God's detailed involvement in the world. That's what it means he fills the world. Our perspective, our, our, our intellectual perspective of him. Okay, level number two. I'm going to continue the second half of this second to last paragraph. And that event, that eventually will lead you to the realization that although God fills the world, although he's, right, inherently relevant to the world because it, all of it's a part of him. Nevertheless, God transcends all worlds. As much as I understand how present God is, he himself is way beyond my understanding. That's level number two. Right? God's creative energies within the world are vastly surpassed by the energies beyond the world. So there's how, but you have this in human relationships as well, by the way. There's how you understand a person, your perspective of a person, and then there's who they actually are as they transcend you, your mind, right? In any relationship, in, a, in an interpersonal relationship, in a spousal relationship, there's the, you know your spouse, but if you totally knew your spouse, 100% in and out, you'd be very bored. You don't fully know your spouse. You're always going to keep learning about your spouse. There's a part of your spouse that transcends you because your mind can only reach so deep. There's so much more, right? And this is for sure the case with God. As he invented the mind, of course, he's way beyond it. So meditation, number one, God is inherently relevant to the world. The world is inherently relevant to him because he's sustaining the world. Number two, He's its creator, which means he's beyond it. Okay, what's meditation number three? Um, last line or last paragraph of the page, 558. This will lead you to the realization that in his presence, everything is considered zero, literally. Which doesn't mean we're, by the way, you have to be careful with this statement. That doesn't mean we are not valuable. It means we are invaluable. Right? The fact that we are nothing in his presence 
doesn't mean we're unvaluable, it means we're invaluable. Because the only thing that gives you value is, this, is his decision that you are valuable. You have an inherent value. You have a sacred value, not just a subjective value. And that's because in his presence, nothing really matters other than what he decides matters. And we gave several analogies earlier in Tanya. We gave two analogies. Analogy number one was the sun and its rays. Although the rays of the sun seem very powerful, if you were to take a trip to the sun, right? you know that they say the first person that's gonna, they're, they're talking about trips to space now with Elon Musk and trips to the moon, right? The first person that's getting, the first population of people that are gonna take a trip to the sun are gonna be all the people in Boca together with John who are freezing cold. <laughs> <laughs> but so imagine, imagine you take a trip to the sun, right? The rays of the sun are still just as powerful in the sun, but they're irrelevant to the sun itself. You wouldn't notice them. They're there, you wouldn't notice them. They're part of something bigger. Right? From God's perspective, we're absorbed in his reality. We're part of something bigger. Right? Compare a word that you say to your ability to speak to no end. Right? What is the value of those words before they were stated? It's absorbed in something much bigger than itself. You know, there was what, and that's why we say, we say this at the end of Elena. At the, the end of the first paragraph of Elenu, Ein Od, there is nothing else besides God. Right? We quote a verse from Deuteronomy, Viadata Hayom, Vahashaveta, Elavavecha. You should know on this date and you should take to your heart. You should know it. And as soon as you know it, you'll feel it. That in the heavens above and the earth below, there is nothing else besides God. And we, we mean that li quite literally. There really is nothing else besides God because it's all him. Does Ain Ode literally, well, can one translation of Ain Ode be um, not until? Is Ode? Um, that, that would be odd. Odd, odd, okay. Yeah. So what is, what is uh, Ode is what then? Od means literally more. There's nothing more than him. Okay. Nothing no uh, end. or else. Is, is odd no end? Like ain't odd? Uh, 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 that, that, would, that would be the word odd. They might even share a root word. They might even be part related. I don't know. That's a good question. Mm. Um, but the word odd means more. There's nothing more. There's nothing else besides God. And we have to be adata hayum. We should know this on this day. We should take that to our heart. That there is nothing else besides God. There literally is nothing else. There's just him. Now, when we think about that, well, then what's my value? My value is I'm valuable because of him. That's, that's the only thing that makes me valuable. My love for God is going to take heights when we, when we implement these three um, levels of meditation. By the way, these three levels of meditation correspond to the three levels of love that we say in the Shema. 
Right after the Shema, we say, Ohafta, you shall love the Lord your God. How do we love God? Three ways. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. With all your mind. Exactly. Those correspond to these three levels of meditation. If I think about God's, how God fills all the world, and he's present in all the world, in this world, I'll love him with my heart. Hopefully both my hearts, right? I might. If I see how he transcends the world, I'm going to transcend my emotions, my, my body, and I'll love him not just with my heart, but with my soul. And if I see how he is really the only true existence and nothing else really matters, other than the value that he ascribes to it, then I'm going to love God with, with all my might, all my strength, with all very fiber of my being. Right, these three levels of meditation will correspond to those three levels of love. There were two Jews that got into a um, financial dispute. Highly unusual. <laughs> <laughs> they got into a financial dispute. Um, one claimed that he owes him money. The other claimed, I don't owe you money. Right. And according to Jewish law, by the way, when two Jews get into a monetary dispute, you don't go to a court. Right. Because we have to follow God's rules, not not the civil rules. So you go to a Beit Din. Go to a Jewish court and see what does the Torah rule? What would the Torah say? Um, and, and by the way, this still applies today. Even you have Jews that get into disagreements about certain things. They go to a formal Beit Din, a Jewish court, and they get a Torah ruling on, on how they should proceed, how they should conduct themselves. Um, these, so these two Jews go to, um, go to this, two, they go to Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson of Lubavitch, not the Lubavitch Rebbe, but his great-great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather, um, same name, namesake. And they ask him, what do we do? So he says, well, tell me the situation. So he says, I lent him money. It's very simple. I lent him money. He's not paying up. He claims I don't know him any. He doesn't owe me anything. The other guy says, I'll tell you why. We've been studying this Hasidic philosophy. And there's nothing else besides God. So the money doesn't truly really exist. In fact, I don't exist. He doesn't exist. You don't exist. Nothing really exists. It's just God. So it shouldn't really matter. So the rabbi says, okay, I get, I, I see where you're heading to. I see where you're getting. <laughs> I have a solution. Take this non-existent money that doesn't exist. Shouldn't be a big deal. It doesn't exist. And give it to the, you don't exist either. So you who doesn't exist, go to that money that doesn't exist and give it back to this person that doesn't exist. And none of you exist. So it shouldn't really bother you. And I give him the money. <laughs> and that was his response. He tried outsmarting the Torah and it did, didn't work. It backfired. <laughs> okay, where are we here? Now, what does this love feel like? We know how to get to this love, right? We know how to get there. The three levels of contemplation, the three levels of meditation. Well, and by the way, the, the third level of meditation, after nothing else 
besides God will be elaborated extensively in the second section of Tanya. So if you're looking for some deep meditation, it's not an easy um, read at all by any means, but the second section of Tanya is called the, the, the Gate of Unity and Faith. And it's, it's deep and it's, there's a lot to think about. Okay. What does this love feel like? We know how to get there. Well, what should we expect? Take a look on 559. That's the last bold paragraph. It's the middle of the page. And this above meditation will instinctively cause the love in your soul to strip off her prior garments, to detach herself from the things she loved before. Essentially, what meditation means is reevaluating what is valuable to me, right? What used to be valuable before this meditation. So we have before meditation and after meditation. Before meditation, what was valuable was Diet Coke, very cold, right? But, but Diet Coke Zero, there we go. Cold with a bendy straw, not too cold that it's frozen, just above freezing level. Right? That's what was valuable, and that's what I'm attracted to. But as soon as I reevaluated what's important in life, so now I value my relationship with God, my mission in this world, because he's really the only true existence. The Coke Zero is just a part of that mission, right? Enables me to focus, it enables me to, to um, gives me the energy, the boost. And now it's just a part of God now. It literally is a part of God. We make a bracha on it, make a bracha after it, Right, meaning that your soul will not attach its love to any pleasure, delight, be it physical or even spiritual, and it won't desire any worldly thing at all, even spiritual pleasure. It's, it, it, no, I love God. When I truly love God, nothing else really matters. The problems don't go away, by the way. We're not saying that the problems go away. The problems are just not relevant anymore. They don't take as, uh, up as much space in my head because I'm in love with God, right? When you're in love, other things just don't matter. When I'm in love with God, other things don't matter. Now he has to be relevant to me to love him. And I have to realize how much he really is my life. He's not just a um, man in heaven with a big beard throwing lightning bolts at me, but you know, it, it's, it's a lot more than that. Be careful which movies we watch. No. <laughs> to, to take a look on page 550, uh, 560, sorry. Through the above meditation, you can come to love God alone, the living source of all pleasures. Since all pleasures in this world have no separate existence and they are considered zero in his presence, literally, and there's no comparison to be made in any way between them and him, God forbid, in the same way that you can't compare absolute null and void with eternal life. When I realize God is the reality of every fiber of existence, as much as I love existence, what I really love is him, the existor of existence. That doesn't mean, and now every um, move I make is now just an expression of that, a part of that, in revealing that in my life. 
right? The Coke Zero is just a part of my relationship with my purpose in this world, revealing God. Um, and, 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 and I use that as an example, but, but it's really the case with everything. To the point that my focus is not even on heaven, right? Atsilas doesn't even matter to me. Because I want God. What do I need Atsilas for? Right? The, the analogy that's given is you're invited to the king's palace, right? The king's palace is beautiful. And you're so honored by the opportunity. And to get to his chambers, you're going to go to the chambers of the king you're going to get to talk to. That's a big deal, by the way. Think about that. Think about just over here. We don't have kings anymore, but most people have never seen a president of the United States in person, right? And if media wasn't what it was today, we may never even know what he looks like. Right? So you're invited to see the king. You're invited to have a conversation with the king. You don't know what he looks like. You've never seen him before. That's a privilege most people don't have. And you're not just invited to his palace. You're invited to his chambers to talk to him. That's a big deal. Most people in his palace have never seen him. The janitors, the guards. And as you're in his palace, you're walking through. And there's buffet tables set up. With many Coke Zeros for you to sample. No, there's buffet. <laughs> they didn't have refrigeration back then either. So it's, I don't know. I don't know if they do, but life must have been really difficult. There's buffet tables set up. There's waiters walking around, handing around food. There's art displays. There's displays of his treasures. There's so much to observe. There's so much grand, grandeur and glory to observe and to take in. But remember, you have a limited amount of time. And if you don't use your time wisely, you may forget about the king because we're so focused on his palace, the, 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 art, the, the expensive artwork, the treasures and the buffets. And if we think about the king more often, the palace is less relevant than the king himself, right? Where the king lives is less relevant to us than the king himself, right? And this is exactly what we're saying. The physical pleasures and even spiritual pleasures, going to heaven and Atsilos and all the spiritual pleasures are not relevant to us. What's relevant is my relationship with God, right? What's relevant to you, to, right? In your relationship with your spouse, what, what is meaningful is not what your spouse gives you, your spouse is what's relevant to you, not what she, what she or he gives you, right? What the king might give me, what I may receive, what I might take in, what I might perceive is not relevant. What's relevant is the relationship itself. And that's exactly what we're saying here. No spiritual or even phys physical or even spiritual pleasure is going to distract me from this when I really get my values straight. The author of the Tanya when he was in an inspired um, trance and state, he used to say, God Almighty, I don't want heaven. I don't want Gan Eden. I don't want your Atsilas. I don't want any of that. He was very romantic. He said, all I want is you. Anything that you're going to give me is not as valuable as the giver himself. 
Um, it seems like, yeah, it, it seems like, sorry, it seems like you're more spiritual and more connected before you get to the palace. Your preparation, your awe, your working towards it before you see the things, your connection's better. You see the things, it's there, but it's like the, the, the anticipation of it is more right. valuable. Right. You, you know, there, there's definitely something to that. And that, that's part of the reason why we're in a world that is, you know, that's why God made the world seem so independent from him. And that's why he's hidden, so that yeah. he's more closer. We can now anticipate him. Yeah. You know, sometimes, you, you know, the, the analogy that's given is that the moon is full when it's furthest from the sun. Right? Sometimes the farther you are, the more light you'll experience, the more anticipation you're going to have, the more excitement you're going to have. Um, yeah. You know, and then by the time you get so close, it's time to renew, renew that relationship. Um, imagine for a second though, because I, I think it's important that we make this real. Imagine we were to think about this before, before we dive in, in the morning, before we pray in the morning, how, how meaningful, and, and, and I say this, I'm not trying to preach this to you. I'm talking to, you know, with, with myself here as well. Imagine we take two minutes and just go through this thought process. Number one. What I love is dependent on what I value. Let me better understand the relevance of God so I can better value him, so I can better love him. And think about how connected to the world he is, yet how trans much he transcends the world and beyond that, how he really is the... Um, existence of everything the fiber of every fiber of existence is really just a part of him which means what makes things valuable is just because they're connected to him and the more we're aware of that connection the more valuable inherent value it's going to have because that really is the the, the ultimate um soul of every existence so the neshama the most valuable thing ever because that's what hashem gives us it, exactly that that's the most open connection yeah. everything really comes from god but that's going to be the most open revealed connection imagine thinking about these things imagine what are and now i'm supposed to love not just how i like to experience god or my physical pleasures but i'm just going to love him nothing is going to get in the way of this relationship we could try this meditation in our interpersonal relationships by the way and I'm sure it would, it would be very meaningful as well. But imagine doing this in the morning before prayer, before we actually talk to God. Right? I'm about to go to the palace. And I don't just get to enjoy the palace. Atsilus and Ganid. I get God himself. This is very special. This is very special. This can take us so far. This can change the world, by the way. It really could. It's going to elevate your home because it's going to change your prayers in the morning. And it's, you can elevate the world. You're going to see a beam of light coming out of your chimney. People are going to think you're flashing for Batman. But they don't know <laughs> the truth. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs>
<laughs> okay, my corny that's, jokes that's, are that's that's quite the vision actually. Because now now every time every time I daven, <laughs> I'm gonna think there's a beam of light that's connecting me to Hashem. I'm you always gonna think about Batman. The chimney. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I hope the new house has got a chimney. <laughs> we have two of them. Oh, so it I, was 20. double the power. Double <laughs> the power. <laughs> now, um, this love can be experienced without reverence. I should say prior to reverence. In fact, take a look on page 562. It's possible that a, um, take a look at the second paragraph, second bold paragraph of the page on 562. That's why it's possible for a Russia, a sinful person who lacks reverence to repent out of love. Sometimes somebody who's been living a sinful life out of nowhere just loves God. And they begin to revere God. Right? Sometimes the love can precede reverence. And that might happen, but that's not how we approach it um, intentionally. That, might, that may or may not happen, but in terms of our approach, in terms of the normal sequence of service, we first need reverence to, to love God. To love God, you need to respect God, right? And it's the same in a, in, a, in a marriage as well. To love your spouse, you have to respect them. If we want to experience, you may love your spouse without respecting or be, before respecting. But when you're approaching the relationship, we approach first with respect, then with love. Take a look on, on 563. The, the second paragraph of the page, however. However, this phenomena of love preceding reverence is unusual, and it's an emergency measure of divine providence due to the need of the hour, as in the story of Rabbi Elazar ben Dadaria. We'll talk about that story afterwards. Remind me. We'll do it off the record because it's not 100%. Uh, I just don't want to lose this thought. But in the normal sequence of worship, which is fixed and determined by man's free choice, in terms of how we should approach the relationship, love will only come after Torah observance, aka reverence. You must first absorb Torah and mitzvahs through the lower reverence, and at least with minimal contracted state, and turn away from evil and do good, so as to shine the light of Torah and mitzvahs into your, the divine light of your soul, and only afterwards you can the, the light of love of God can shine onto you. So if I want to really love God, if I want these meditations to work, I first have to perform Torah and mitzvahs because those are light. My Torah is light. Mitzvahs are light. And as soon as I bring light into my soul, now I can actually experience the love. Right? Okay, as soon as I... Interpersonal in, in relationships, it's like that as well. There's respect. There's acts of service. Afterwards, you can love your spouse. Um, can I ask a question? Yeah, please. So, so um, would it be um like kind of like wrong to to imagine how much love you have for Hashem he's got back for you so it's a reciprocal so that it's like you I mean there's it's not like it's an unconditional positive regard but you're giving him more of a human quality and that, that's wrong that, no that would be very correct in fact we're going to discuss that meditation in chapter 46 oh okay in about three chapters from now so excellent observation yeah, because you're giving you're giving so much and you're admiring and you um right. you've got reverence, but 
to to imagine that 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 Hashem is human, that is returning the love. <laughs> Would be oh, 100%. And, and we'll, we'll see how inspiring that really can be. In other words, right now we're talking about our love toward him. When we imagine his love toward us, it, 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 it can be a game changer. Yeah. If we take these meditations seriously, 100%. But in order for love to work naturally, sometimes unnaturally, love will, you know, we can fall in love with God, right? But it, it, ideally, it's preceded by respect, it's preceded by observance, and that's going to create space for love. Respect creates space for love. Sometimes somebody says, why would I do a mitzvah for God? I don't love him, right? You, you see that in relationships all the time. I don't feel that I love the person. Why would I do this? You're getting it backwards. Let me do it. So I can put myself in a place where I can love them. And it's the same in our relationship with God. Let me do the mitzvah so I can bring myself to a place where I can love God. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs>